Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Well, here we are on Future Sense, going through to 11 o'clock this morning. And this morning, a great pleasure to welcome a special guest to the studio who has been here before, my good friend Ross Hill. Good morning, well, Nick. Nice to see you here. Ross predominantly lives in Melbourne, but also is partly living up here now. Ross is, uh, has been involved with tech startups from California to Melbourne. A young man, um, a couple of generations, even close to uh, younger than me, which I always love to have that perspective of someone of different age groups. It brings so much depth and importance, I think, to the future just that and uh ross is uh, in my opinion quite a futurist himself and also as you know if you're a regular listener to this show uh we talk a lot about claire w graves's work and ross has been studying that work for about 10 years so thanks for joining us this morning pleasure we're going to also be welcoming a guest uh, in about uh, half an hour or so to the studio and that is helena norberg hodge many of you are very familiar with helena's work and we're going to be talking particularly about local futures the economics of happiness and new economy network Australia, which is a, um, a forum, a, a, a convention, really, from March the, 20th, the 20th, Friday the 20th to the 22nd, coming up very soon on the agenda locally down here at the Byron Theatre. We're going to be talking about that, and of course, uh, you probably know Helena as someone who has, um, for many years, pioneered local movements globally through her organisation, Local Futures, and she's written Ancient Futures, a book since translated into 40 languages, and created the documentary Economics of Happiness inspired by her time in Ladakh and her observations of globalised systems within indigenous cultures. So we're going to be talking particularly about localization and resilience, words that we use quite a lot here, and perhaps in some ways kind of important given uh, the current coronavirus uh, situation. So we'll, we'll look at, uh, at what she's going to be doing at this, uh, at this convention coming up. Um, before that, we're going to talk a little bit about the coronavirus. We did a big update last week. We're not going to go sort of fully into it like that, but uh, we're going to share a few things that we've discovered that may be of value to you if you, uh, if you, if you feel like you need some resilience right there in terms of your uh, vulnerability to these kind of... Uh, these kind of scares and of course there are scares but they're also there's a reality to them so we'll be talking about that you're resonating right now on future sense with steve mcdonald and nick jeans you're tuned to future sense on bayfm it's 9 17 thanks for joining us and you can always text in on the text line 043734119 and speak to us bring attention to stuff or make commentary about what we're talking about in the studio with me my special guest presented this morning as i've said already ross hill who's uh, partly melbourne partly up here and is a futurist also and uh, Steve McDonald has gone away, as we said last week, for a month. He'll be not here for the next four weeks. And a little anecdote from Steve on the way up to the Brisbane airport, uh, talking about the coronavirus, he said that um, uh, the taxi drivers said that customers to and from the airport are down 49% outbound and 51% inbound. So it's just a simple example of the effect 
the financial effect that is occurring um, across the world, in fact. And uh, taxi drivers, of course, don't get sick pay, generally speaking. I think 90% of them don't get sick pay. So if they go out of work, then uh, among many other professions, they're in real strife. And I guess you've seen a few, a bit of this around the, the place, Ross, yourself, in terms of the effects. Yeah, it is fascinating. Um, and obviously in Australia, there's only a small number of cases so far relative to the world. So mm. mostly what we're seeing is the economic effect. Um, and it's interesting because when you use words like economics or finance, we often think, you know, that's what bankers do. Um, but it's, it becomes an everyday thing. Mm. You know, if, if most of your customers disappear, then all of a sudden Absolutely. that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so most of the effect here so far would, would appear to be that mm. lack of customers suddenly. Mm. Um, I think it's probably changed a little bit now. I haven't followed it too closely, but I, I did remember reading a report about the Chinese students coming here for university. Yeah. Um, and it was almost a third of the students. I know, it's incredible. I mean, we know that's happened over the last generation or so, that increase in Asian students and Chinese in particular, but it's uh, it's you know, unexpected to think that it's a third of the whole university population in this country. And that's one of our top yeah. um, revenue streams for the yeah, country, yeah. Totally. We're just going to mention a few things, as I said earlier, regarding the coronavirus, some useful supplements and ideas about it. Uh, we did a big update last week, so we're not going to go there. Uh, you're probably overwhelmed with all the stuff about the coronavirus anyway, but I thought this was rather useful for those who uh, are concerned and might not have heard about some of these things. And these are things that we've discovered through some of our associates, and thanks to Dr. Stephen Booth in Melbourne, and also our friend uh, Rob down there too, who gave some of this, and to Julia, who also uh, gave input into this. So a couple of the, the supplements that are useful is the antioxidant uh, liposol glutathione. I'm sure many of you would have known that taken orally. This, because it's an antioxidant, it's found uh, naturally in plants, animals and fungi and some bacteria and other places. And it's an important cellular component caused um, uh, to prevent damage caused by reactive oxygen species such as free radicals, peroxides and other things and heavy metals also. So apparently that's, uh, that's shown to be, and there is some science behind it too, uh, to be a, a good uh, a good stopgap for these kind of viruses. If you can't get the above, which you can, these things are available basically over the counter as far as I know. Uh, there's a precursor to that that the body uses to make it and it's N-acetylcysteine, C-Y-S-T-E-I-N-E, also known as just N-A-C, which can also be brought as a supplement. Things like olive leaf extract, many people in this audience would be very familiar with olive leaf extract, apparently also very good for that. And um, uh, oral supplementation of the glutathione in particular elevates body stores of that and the markers of immune function. In other words, it just increases your um, immune, uh, immune ability, is that a word? Something like that. Um, we also, uh, and I won't name particular brands here because there are many other good brands, uh, but there is a thing called Armour Force which does come under a certain brand which apparently uh, combines some of these factors and this is also some, uh, some Chinese uh, medicine going into that as well. And I want to share with you this fascinating story which also goes to some of the things we're going to be talking a bit later on today in terms of science as well once we've talked to Helena Norberg-Hodge in about half an hour. We're going to be looking at space which is a particular area of interest to you, Ross. Um, but science generally, our take on science and the, the future of science and where it's going and uh, our attitudes towards it, perhaps we could say. So this is a story, and thanks to Julia for this one, an old story from the bubonic plague. Four thieves were captured and charged for stealing from the sick and dying. The four thieves never contracted the plague despite it being a death sentence for pretty well everybody at the time. The king asked them to share how they did it by letting them off the death penalty. 
Now, these, uh, these people were perfume and spice merchants, unemployed due to the closure of the seaports, and they used cloves, lemon oil, cinnamon, eucalyptus and rosemary on their hands, ears, temples and feet and wore a cloth over their faces with the oils uh, soaked into it. Doctors did the same after that and it worked. All these items, of course, are antibacterial, antifungal and antiviral. And there are some essential oil companies which sell this thieves blend. In fact, I knew about this thieves blend, but I didn't realise it was came from this story, which is uh-huh. fascinating. Did you have you heard about it before? Thieves I haven't, blend? but it's a good one. It's a very good one, <laughs> and it can be got from. As I said, I won't name particular companies, but there is a number of companies that uh, that create this kind of uh, mixture of these natural uh, oils and and, uh, herbs and flowers and so forth. Very useful if you're concerned about uh, keeping yourself uh, protected to some degree from the potential of the virus spreading around here. Along with uh, this simple thing too, also uh, available over the counter at Chemists, from James Robb, MD, from uh, University of California, San Diego, who was a professor of pathology at the University of California there and was one of the first molecular virologists in the world to work on coronaviruses in the 1970s and a useful note from him stop stock up now with zinc lozenges yeah these lozenges have been proven to be effective in blocking coronavirus and most other viruses from multiplying in your throat and nasopharynx use as directed several times each day whenever you begin to feel any cold-like symptoms beginning. It's also best to lie down and let the lozenge dissolve in the back of your throat and the nasopharynx. I think that's a really simple thing to do as a bit of a protection and probably just healthful, generally speaking, in this in this world where there is so much transmission between people on all sorts of levels, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, good. Interesting. Mm. I also thought it was uh, quite fascinating how the Thebes story... Uh, it's a good story, obviously, by itself, but um, it's interesting that that worked and that at the time they just knew that it worked because they tried it and yeah. it worked. Um, and now with the development of more modern science, we know exactly why it's it's got the antifungal and antiviral properties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really interesting discernment in some ways because mm. at the moment I see when we're looking for solutions to problems, we'll often go back and say what used to work uh, with the hope that it'll still work now. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's it's really hard to discern between what is going back in a way and what's going forward. Mm, mm. And it's really interesting when some of these stories, um, you know, from much older cultures or older older times, um, we hear them. We can then test them with science. Yeah. And if they if they do work in both systems, then we're off to a good thing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that things that aren't proven by science don't necessarily work, but it, it could go either way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, the, when you're speaking, I'm thinking of the, the old term, old wives' tales, which mm. I think is sort of passed away now because a lot of these old wives' tales, this kind of thing, yeah. are proven by and science. We just call it medicine a lot We of call it. it medicine now. We, call <laughs> it, we might still call it somewhat alternative. However, there is science to back up a lot of these, uh, especially herbal uh, mixtures. Yeah. And I've already got a text in, thank you very much, to mentioning Mullum Herbals, and we will give it to local business. We will go for a, a hello to them because they do produce all this stuff. So that's one place you could go to get some of uh, some of these, which is a local business and support them. Yeah, locality and resilience, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. We'll take so we'll take some more music break and um, come back. And we're going to be talking about. Well, we'll see where we go next. We've got we're welcoming uh, Helena to the studio in about twenty minutes, so we'll uh, we might start talking a little bit about uh, some of the science uh, too and some personal stories about Ross, perhaps. I think because uh, well, Ross owns a Tesla. <laughs> I uh, do. Uh, you do, and you and yeah. It's a lot of fun. And I, it is a lot. Well, I've ridden in it. And, <laughs> and in fact, you drove out to Uluru with it. But let's come back and talk about that. All right. Because we were out there and we drove around uh, around Uluru in a Tesla. 
a red one. Uh, curious, that. What do you think about that? Maybe you, some of you think it's a great idea. Maybe you have some, some issue with that. Hmm. Let's, uh, let's find out. Text us in on 04-373-4119. Uh, also, it's, someone's just written in to high levels of vitamin C per day orally or IV infusion. 20 grams helps. Thank you for that too. All these are good ideas and natural ones too. You're on BFM. It's 9.26 on Future Sense. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate and spiral up. The information provided during this broadcast is intended for your general knowledge only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment for specific medical conditions. Always seek the guidance of a licensed healthcare provider so that you may understand the advantages and risks of any treatments for medical conditions. The program host is not a doctor and does not offer medical advice. Statements on this program are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease. You're tuned now to Future Sense here. I'm Bayfin with myself, Nick Jeans, and our special futurist guest, Ross Hill, as we have, um, as we have uh, Steve McDonald, who is actually in Texas as we speak. Good day, Steve, if you happen to be listening out there. Um, hello. <laughs> um, uh, before, we, before we get on to uh, Helena Norberg-Hodge uh, shortly in talking about local futures, uh, Ross, as I said earlier, you, you own a Tesla, and um, that's interesting enough. Well, how many Teslas are there in Australia? We're, I mean, we're here to talk about the future, and clearly the Tesla is, uh, well, it's kind of from the future. Yeah, it's say. one milestone, I think you could one say. One milestone. Um, yeah. In Australia, there's about 18,000 electric vehicles, yeah. and I believe that about 80% of those are from Tesla. Mm. Um, a lot of the other ones are from Hyundai. They have quite a few. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, the Nissan Leaf is quite popular as well. And that doesn't include the hybrids like the Prius, so that's a different, or does that include those I ones? I think that's a different number, yeah. 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 Um, but in terms of pure electric, mm. uh, and, and from a change perspective, I find that quite interesting because you'll often have a transition time where you sort of bolt both things together. You say, well, we've got this oil engine. Let's bolt a battery on and do a bit of both. And from a, a product design perspective, you kind of make a sacrifice on both sides. It's not going to be the best oil engine, and it's not going to be the best electric experience mm. either. Mm. Um, and I haven't had a car for 10 years, so I was actually going from no car. Um, I love the, the trams in Melbourne and um, all the, the public transport there, which actually is renewable powered as well. Yeah. Um, but when the Tesla Model 3 got announced for Australia, I thought I'll give that a try because it... It's the cheaper model. It's not cheap, but it's mm. um, it's at the cheaper end of, of the scale, and it is a 100% electric car. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't quite know what I was uh, signing up for. I knew it would be fun and a bit of an experiment. Um, I also knew they'd been doing it for, I think, roughly 10 years, so yeah. it, it can't be too bad. <laughs> and I can always give it back if, it's, if it is no good. Um, but it's been a lot of fun so far, yeah. and I thought, what better uh, test than to take an electric car, <laughs> which... Traditionally, is really good for city driving. Mm. Um, they work really well. You know, you, you can stop and start really easily. Um, there's no idling the engine that's either yeah. going or not going. And they have this cool regenerative braking, which is when you're braking in general or going downhill, you actually recharge the battery. It's like a little generator. Mm. So if you're going up a hill, you're obviously using charge. If you're going downhill, you're actually charging the battery, wow. which is, is super fun. Yeah. Um, so there's a few of these things which I think you really have to directly experience a new technology to really understand it and get your head around it um, because some of them seem too good to be true. Um, and so, yeah, I got this car December-ish. 
um, and then on New Year's Day started driving from Melbourne to Uluru. You did. Um, and so, yeah, so electric cars are traditionally known to be really good in cities, especially mm. dense cities. That's mm. why they're quite popular in Europe and places like Tokyo. Um, the the test is really when you drive them away from the city into the desert. Uh, and so the first part was super easy. There's heaps of charges everywhere. Um, but as you pass through Adelaide and then Port Augusta, they start to thin out. Yeah. Um, and so I was charging off the, the electric plugs at the different roadhouses that yes. are on the way to Uluru. Yeah, you've pulled into a, a pub or roadhouse and yeah. said, can I plug in my car, my Tesla, into you? <laughs> <laughs> and people were very amenable to that. I mean, what was the reaction? Well, it's people? funny. The people behind the counter know where the plug is. Yeah. Um, and you usually pay them 20 bucks for it. And they'll, you know, some of them are, you know, behind the shed or whatever mm. it is. So they unlock the gate and let you in. Um, and that's kind of cute. Uh, and you plug it in, and because they're three-phase power, they are a bit slower than the dedicated ones yeah. that you see in cities. Yeah. And so you might have a, a long extended lunch, maybe a three or four hour lunch sometimes <laughs> out there, um, charge it up and keep on going along the road. But, but that it is possible. It does yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that uh, that 20 bucks, say, for charging the car is will, will take you 500 kilometres at best, won't it? That's it a, will, yeah. That's, a pretty, uh, that's pretty cheap. And yeah. that electricity that you're using, hopefully, in the end, will come predominantly from solar power. Most of it does, yeah. yeah. Um, although, once you get into the outback, uh, a lot of the road stations are powered from diesel generators. Um, I have seen some research, though, that even if you power an electric car from a diesel generator, it's still more efficient than a diesel car. Mm. Uh, and that's because the electric motor drives um, convert the energy to motion at about 90% or 90% plus, um, whereas a, a petrol car is about 30%, and a lot of it comes off as heat or fumes or mm. other things, right? Um, and so we forget that, but even when you're charging from the diesel generator, it's still more yes. fuel efficient. Well, where you're living here is in the habitat uh, uh, facility out there at, um, yeah, at the industrial estate, and they have uh, their own community power grid, own power grid, and you yes. can charge there your car for free. You can. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's great. There's a lot of incentives, not from the Australian government so much yet, no. but uh, from local communities. Mm. Um, Habitat have four charges out there, um, and they're currently free to use. NRMA have a great network across New South Wales, um, and every roughly 100 kilometres there's a little charger at a town somewhere. Yeah. They're also free to use at the moment. Um, the Byron Shire has a, a charger at the library near the beach. Yes. Um, and so that's that's really cool. Um, and it's great to see some people in incentivising Mm. Um, this this transition mm. and it is working. Um, if you look at the the sales, yes, um, I know Tesla have already sold a thousand cars plus this year, just in the last two months. Um, and there's a ship that just arrived in Sydney with another five hundred of them, and so they're they're really really um, taking off. Mm. And I think one of the big shifts is the Model Three, which is mm. as I said, Tesla's cheapest, but not not necessarily cheap one. I think it's um, the most popular model is about fifty seven thousand Australian, um, but it's it's far by far the, the most popular model. And I think it's because it, it bridges the gap of you're not sacrificing anything um, as you maybe needed to in the past. Um, so it, it looks like a normal car. It feels like a normal car. Um, it's just got a battery in it instead of a fuel tank. Well, I mean, it does feel like a normal car in a way, but having uh, ridden in it out there in the desert with you a few times, as we all did, uh, you know, like kids in a candy store, <laughs> um, one of the things that was most disturbing initially was looking across at you from the uh, from the, the passenger seat in the front and seeing that you had no hands on the wheel. Yeah. And that, that moment, because it's different, of course, from cruise control in a yeah. car where you still got your hands on the wheel, yeah. um, but that moment for all of us, and perhaps 
perhaps it's also harder for an older person like myself to accommodate the you know the <laughs> shift in consciousness just to receive that. The car is driving. Yeah, the car is driving itself, <laughs> and are we safe? You know, is it okay? Yeah. And to trust that. So that that element of trust in new technologies is a really big thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, and if you look at the statistics, you are statistically safer. Um, using the autopilot system at the moment, which mm. is not full self-driving. It's it's mm. sort of fancy cruise control mm. is what I call it. Um, and statistically, you are safer. Mm. Um, but, yeah, whether you feel safer is a different matter. Yes, yes, um, yes. And whenever I've used traditional <laughs> cruise control in the past, I've felt that that's not very safe because it just... <laughs> You're just holding the button down, you know, <laughs> and off you go. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it does work. It does take a bit of getting used to, um, but it is a very comfortable way to drive. One of the biggest things as well, if, especially when you're driving through the desert, is you can't hear the engines. Oh, no, it's amazing. So you're just listening to the wind yeah. and uh, looking out for kangaroos. It's basically. extraordinary. <laughs> Not to mention the acceleration, but perhaps we won't go there. <laughs> that is fun too. But there yeah. are a few things that, um, I, I guess, paradigm shifting. Mm. Um, and so, like we said, with the, the filling up at the roadhouse, um, Yes, it's it's nice to have a long lunch um, and let that battery charge a little bit on the, the slower charges, um, but it did only cost $20, uh, whereas the petrol cars were paying probably $70 or $80, and they were charging in 5 or 10 minutes. Mm. Um, they might have stayed an hour for lunch anyway, but um, it is it is sort of a little bit of a, a trade-off in terms of it's much better value on your wallet, um, but it does take a little bit longer once yeah. you go out that far. Yeah. When you're in the city on the fast charges, um, you can charge at a rate of about 12 100 kilometers per hour um, it's a bit funny sometimes to think about charging in terms of speed mm. but um yeah for every hour of charge at the super fast charges you'll get um, about a thousand two hundred mm. kilometers of charge um, whereas if you plug it into the the socket in your wall like when you're charging your iphone you'll charge about 10 kilometers every hour yeah, right. so it is cool to think that anywhere you charge a phone you can charge the car it'll just take a little while <laughs> um, and when, you, when you get out really. to uluru itself that is the the biggest um sort of gap in, in range of, of charges and everything. Uh, but they've got a 1.8 megawatt solar farm out there, which powers all the, the hotels and different places as well. Yes. And so I was charging uh, with Mark, who runs technical services there, and it's super cool because you see these just vast arrays of solar panels collecting the sunlight. Obviously, in the desert, you can feel the sun. It's pretty strong. Um, and then, yeah, five minutes later, you're racing down the highway driving sunlight. Um, and so it's, it's come a long way. Um, I was Amazing. looking at the... Uh, the World Solar Challenge um, has been going since oh, yeah. 1987. Yes. And that was a race between roughly Adelaide and Darwin. Yeah. Um, and it would usually take people four to seven days. And oh, wow. you know, a lot of them look like little go-karts almost with a panel on the roof. Um, and they were super, super, super cutting edge, um, trying to make efficient engines, trying to make efficient panels. Um, and it's that's, that's 32 years ago. And so now here we are. Um, you've got huge solar farms happening which you can charge off uh, and you've got cars that look like all the other cars mm. so it's and of course south australia is the home of uh, elon musk talking about tesla's uh, 100 million dollar solar farm out there which is proving to be very successful and somewhat disruptive to the powers that be it seems yeah mm. that is that is quite interesting <laughs> you, you like that we're going like to come back to elon musk anyway we're talking about spacex a little later on today as well but uh, do notice you also mentioned that there are ten thousand teslas produced in america every week Yes. That's a lot. Well, it is a lot. It's well, it also seems not to be a many. Lot. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. yeah Why is it not many? Because it's you, only a small percentage. It, isn't it? Yeah. it looks like a lot. Yeah. It's about 500,000 a year. Yeah. It's taken them a, a, quite a while to get up to that rate. Yeah. Um, I think it's if you look at global production, it's 0.7% of all the cars mm. in the world. So it's not very much. Um, yeah. And so they, they get a lot of the attention for various reasons, mm. but they're actually not producing that many cars in terms of the whole. Mm. Um, and Elon did comment once that even if every single car that was produced by all the factories was instantly electric tomorrow, it would still take 30 years because cars usually last for a couple of decades before we, we move them on. Um, and so the, the best possible case if we're moving to electric cars is 30 years mm. if they all transition. But as of today, it's 0.7% of, of new cars. Really. Well, also, we have in this country uh, not a lot of incentive from our current government uh, uh, towards electric. There's incentive towards hydrogen. What, why, why that? What's the, what's the thing going on there? In, um, your, in your opinion. There's a, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> reasons and ideas we could probably come up with yeah. for that. Um, I'm not excited by hydrogen, uh, and so I haven't looked into it that much. Mm. Um, you still have to go to someone else's place and fill up your tank of hydrogen. Mm. I like the idea that you can have solar panels on the roof and fill up your car in sunlight and off you go. Mm. Um, so that seems pretty simple to me. Um, we'll see what happens. It'd we'll be nice happens. if the government did support a bit more yeah. of this work. Um, but what's interesting about Australians, and having worked in, in technology... Uh, for a while is uh, it's interesting because Australian organisations are really, really slow at adopting new ideas and new technology, yeah. um, but Australian individuals are far ahead. Yes, I mean, we are one of the top uh, early adopters of new technology yep. on a person-to-person basis, aren't yep. we? And yet, uh, yeah, in business, it's a, it's a different thing. And having worked in um, uh, business technology and social networks across mm. uh, Australia and California, uh, it's fascinating to me that the American organisations will adopt these things and, and kind of roll it out across the whole organisation quicker, whereas the the individual might be a little you know cautious or wary about trying new things. Um, in Australia, it's the opposite. It's the the organisation will take a while, but um, Australian individuals had personal iPhones far before the organisation uh, rolled them out. It's a pioneering spirit of Australia, <laughs> which has done so much damage, but also there is a good quality in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So Australians, you know, we have some of the highest solar panel rates mm. per capita on yeah, our roofs. we do. Uh, which makes sense. You know, we'll go and, and do that. We'll go and buy, you know, an electric car at some point and, and plug that in. And I think that really makes sense, and that's what you see a lot of in Australia. Mm. Um, so do we need the government to support things? It'd be nice, but I think we're going to do it anyway as well. Well, well talking about that, lastly, in terms of renewables and uh, electricity generation generally, we noticed that in Tasmania, uh, while the Australia's federal coalition refuses to accept the notion that Australia can reach 50% renewables without sorcery, I'm quoting here from a reneweconomy.com.au, uh, or total economic destruction, Tasmania's Liberal government has just announced a possible world first, a renewable energy target of 200% by 2040, powered by a doubling of the tiny island's state's hydro, wind and solar energy production. So that's sort of counterintuitive for the, the, the governments in power there, you would think, but um, yeah, what do we think about this? I think it can kind of make sense. You mm. know, the Liberals like to, to sell things, and if you've got excess power, you can sell it. So I think that makes sense. <laughs> and good if it's point. for a good cause, all the better. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Well, you are tuned here to Future Sense on BFM 99.9. You're listening there to Ross Hill, who's our guest presenter today, today and probably for the next few weeks while he's up here, if he's still here, and myself, Nick Jeans, uh, through till 11 o'clock this morning. We're going to be welcoming Helena Norberg-Hodge very shortly to talk about uh, Local Futures, the event coming up here at the Byron Community Centre downstairs from March 20th to the 22nd, presented by Local Futures, the Economics of Happiness and the New Economy Network. And uh, we'll be checking to her about localisation and uh, 
renewability and resilience in particular, that lovely word, which I've, I have quite an affection for at the moment. Here on BFM, um, we'll take a break for some music and we will be back talking to her. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.